Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Hello and welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? Episode 40. Welcome to my mind mare. Today I want to talk about my influences. You know, the things and people that have shaped my life. If we begin in the beginning, and I hear that's a really good place to start, I would say that my mother was very instrumental in making me the person that I am today. She showed me how to be a man. How to be someone who was strong, yet able to reach down deep and be tender as well. She taught me how to be self-sufficient and not wait for someone else to do it for me. Though that is nice every once in a while, isn't it? She showed me that by showing my feelings, that didn't make me a sissy or a pansy. It made me a real person. Being real, that is what I take from my mother. I also grew up with an uncle living in our house. He had fallen on hard times and my parents reached out to him and he moved in. He was one of the family. He was a happy guy, always ready with a joke or some smart-ass comment about the world. He was the jokester that I would become someday. I took from him my sense of humor. There were a bevy of other aunts and uncles who showed me that hard work pays off. Even if you didn't necessarily like what you were doing, you should still give it your all. From them, I took my work ethic. In school, I had teachers that would challenge me to go just a bit further, to dig just a little deeper. From them, I take my sense of wonder and my love of learning. Life itself has taught me that no matter what I do, there is always more. More ways to love, more ways to care. Life has taught me that no matter how many times I stumble, there are people out there to help steady me. Not because they must. They help to steady me because they care about me. They want to see the best for me and my family. They see something in the man that I have become, and that makes them believe in me. When I started writing this, I thought, who in this world has influenced me and my thoughts went to actors and writers and the like? They don't know me. They aren't there to help me when I stumble. Sure, they entertain me, but they don't know me. With that being the case, how can they influence me? Finally, who influences my day-to-day life and who as an adult are the people that influence me? Simply, my wife and my children. My wife shows me every day her undying love and commitment to our lives as one. She's brilliant, funny, beautiful, and amazes me every day. She works, keeps the house. She's a mother, wife, friend, and lover. That is a huge responsibility, and she does it without complaint. She traded her name for mine. She gave up her body for the birth of our two beautiful daughters. She has given everything to me, and for that I am forever humbled. From my wife, I take humility. My daughters, truly young ladies in all aspects of their lives. I have watched them grow and mature and become people I am proud of and proud to call my own. Are they perfect? (laughs) No. Who is? Do they always do what I want or tell them to? No, but is that kid even out there somewhere? No, but they do what Nikki and I have tried to teach them throughout the years. To be themselves, and true to themselves. To be independent and self-reliant. Sometimes I hate the fact that they are very much what we taught them to be. But it makes me proud when I see that they are going to be young women who have an idea of who and what they are and what they want to be. From them, I take the deadliest of all sin. Pride. Sorry, Superman. Sorry, Batman. 
You're great entertainment, but you are not my influences. All right, so let's get right into our guest here tonight. So, Carl Olson. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you for having me, Chad. It's a pleasure to be here. Last week, I, st- I started a new thing in this portion of the show. I, I'm going to ask you five questions, and hopefully you'll answer them. Uh, nothing special or deep, just a few getting-to-know-you questions. So, what is your favorite food? Seriously? You're going to do that? I Just one. Just one. I had really? to. Yes. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, if there's going to be a favorite food, um, my go-to answer has always been sushi. I love it. Sushi okay. is an absolutely amazing and deadly. And potentially. Deadly. No, for me, it's deadly. Oh, that, that's right. I forgot about that. That's okay. Um, but, you know, that's an that's an interesting thing. Because when you say favorite food, are we talking about like a specific dish or a class of food? Or am I just getting into too many details here? You're probably overthinking it, but <laughs> let's go with an actual dish. Oh, my gosh. If I'm going to have to pick a dish off the top of my head, it would be a hot dog. Really? Yes. Yes. Because out of everything that I could possibly love to eat, and I love to eat everything. The one thing that I always go back to as as a man, I've got a craving, and I don't know what I want to eat. I'm just going to get myself a good all beef hot dog and lather that thing up with some coleslaw. 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 That is an odd topic. Why is it that nobody knows about this? I have traveled around the country and around the world to a couple of places, and it seems like everywhere that I go, there's only like a handful of places in the South, apparently, where coleslaw as a topping on col- on a hot dog is considered the standard, the norm. It's delicious. Now, I know I've been to, like, New York City and, and over in the, on the East Coast, and they'll put coleslaw on sandwiches. Yes. But it I, is, it's very much along the same lines. Yeah, it's, you know, they'll put, like, there was one place I went. I, I got a nice brisket sandwich, and they put coleslaw and freaking French fries on top of my sandwich. That sounds amazing. And they shoved it all together. And at first, I'm looking at it going, uh-uh. <laughs> but then you eat it, and you're like, that works. It really does work. <laughs> there's there's something about barbecue and coleslaw to go together well. It doesn't have to be creamy coleslaw. It can also be like the sauerkraut or the vinegary stuff. Um, but in the case of a hot dog, no, creamy coleslaw, maybe some onions and a little ketchup. Okay. Now, see, when I eat a hot dog, I just like a little ketchup and maybe a little sweet relish. And that's okay, too. You know, that's that's, that's the way that's, I that's like it. That's the great thing about food and about hot dogs especially is there's no wrong way to top a hot dog. That's there's true. There's really no wrong way to eat food. Well, unless you use yellow, or uh, not yellow, I'm sorry, uh, uh, brown mustard. No, like, what are you talking about, mustard? Brown mustard is the... It's good it's, stuff. It's the ass juice of Satan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, well, <laughs> pucker up, baby. <laughs> That's good. All right, so question number two. Your favorite band or musician? Wookie Foot. Actually, what? Fish. Fish is my favorite band, but Wookie Foot is a close second. Um... Okay, I've heard of Fish. I have not heard of Wookie Foot. Wookie Foot is a, I think it's a Wisconsin garage band, and I don't really know the history to it. I just know that there was, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, something like that, I was visiting with a friend. I think I was back in college. I was probably back in college. I was visiting with a friend, a buddy of ours from high school. Okay. I think you met him after I graduated, and... He's one of our gaming friends. That's okay. Okay. Um, anyway, so he he he's very excited about this band that he had discovered, and he wanted us to come and see them. And so we go to a bar in Eau Claire. Okay. We go to a bar in Eau Claire, and I can't remember the name of the bar. I wish I could. And 
I, I mean, I was having just an absolutely terrible time there because I don't like going to bars. I like drinking and hanging out with people. I just don't like going to bars. They're loud. They're noisy. They're smoking. They're obnoxious. It's hard to actually hang out with somebody in a bar. It, it really is because you want to have kind of an intimate, closed setting and everything like that. But if I have to shout over everybody around me just to say, hi, how are you? Yeah. It kills it. Yeah. I would much rather start a fire in the backyard, grab a couple beers and go sit down. Exactly. But this band that was there was Wookie Foot, and the song that they were doing was one that really grabbed your attention, and it really, like, dug its claws into you. So then afterwards, they were selling CDs, and I grabbed a couple of them. And it's also one of these bands that was, they organized their music around an idea of... So almost like a concept album kind of thing? Thank you. Concept album. That's what I'm looking for. You know, like a plot or a story. Like, each song follows into the next... And one of the albums is, like, every single track on the album is interrupted with a narration, because the narrator's telling a story. Okay. And so each song follows the next thread of that story. And it's the story of um, Nothing in the Monkey. The story of Nothing in the Monkey. Okay. Now, I I don't don't know if you noticed it, but I wrote it down here as a little note. I'm going to have to go check them out and see if they're on YouTube or anything like that. Um, All right. Third question: Your favorite game, RPG, role playing, or RPG or board game? Dungeons and Dragons, hands down. Okay, fair enough. Now that being said, there are other cat- other games and other categories that I would, you know, also put up pretty high. If we're going to talk board games, I would say probably Settlers of Catan. It is. I can pretty much play that game with anybody at any time. Um, card games, Cribbage is the one that I would prefer. I love Cribbage. Cribbage is fantastic. Um, um, I'm also a big fan of Texas Hold'em. And um, I also really enjoy playing Sheephead. I don't know that I've ever played Sheephead. Okay, okay. I think I learned to play Spades for the first time this last year, and it's being being as similar as it is to Hearts. It got pretty good pretty quick. Spades is Spades and Hearts and Sheephead. They're all kind of the same family of game. They all play very similar. You have your Trump, and you. I think the way the cards are set up is differently. Right. It's different. So. Right. All right. So, what is your occupation? I wrote that question before we had our talk beforehand. No, no, no. It's just it's an interesting question because an occupation, well, I mean, what do I get paid to do? I get paid to be a logistics engineer for Mercury Marine in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. I'm also paid as a an officer in the Wisconsin Army National Guard. Um, but beyond that, I consider my, my status as a father as an occupation. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I also consider my status as a, well... I say writer. I'm not a writer. I want to be a writer. And I would consider, you know, my my time as a dungeon master for D&D to be an occupation. Again, I don't run any games right now. Haven't for several years. May not be able to for another couple of years. Mm-hmm. But I do consider that to be an occupation because it's, in, it's important to me mm-hmm. at the same level as the things I get paid for. Okay. Obviously, since I get paid for them, I have to put more time into those. You have to put more time and more dedication into them. Yes. No, I totally get that. I mean, uh, you know, kind of the same way. I have a job that I go to Monday through Friday every week, and, you know, you slug through it because you get a paycheck at the end of the week. Exactly. But at the same point, you know, I do so many other things. I do podcasting. I do – I run games. I play games. I – yeah, there's – Occupation is kind of one of those words when when I say it to most people, they're like, well, this is my job. That's that's my occupation. And that's typically how we think about that sort of thing. Right. Absolutely. But you bring up the fact of being a father as being a job dead on. Because if you do it right, 
It's a job. It's You have to be dedicated to it. It takes time. There's nothing about it that says, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> no, it's it's absolutely work. And that's, what, and that's my, in my mind, what I associate the term, the word occupation with, is work. Mm-hmm. And if we, if there, if you are passionate about something, you work at it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So the last question, and when I asked this question last week, I, I made a very big point of pointing out that I'm not fishing for anything here. But in this modern day, where people listen to podcasts all the time, what is your favorite podcast? I don't have one because I don't listen to that many podcasts. Okay. okay. Um, so this last year, while I was deployed, I did listen to a few. I picked up several before I went over, thinking that I may not have good access. I was able, fortunately, to get access and get access to more podcasts. Um, but there were two that one is not a podcast. I just found it through YouTube, um, through some some web searches and everything. It's called uh, QI with Stephen Fry. Yeah. The a- the actor? Yes. Okay. Yes. He's been hosting a variety. Um, intellectual variety show for for several years through i think it's through a canadian network i'm not maybe it's through a british network I'm okay i'm not sure which but what he does is he brings comedians onto his show and then he just asks them trivia questions and they of course make fun of him because they're dumb and he's smart and you have to make fun of the smart kid right and it's right. absolutely it's deliciously entertaining i may have um, to check that one out myself Q I with stephen fry we'll plug that all day but as far as podcasts go i like stuff from npr so wait wait don't tell me Oh, I love that! Uh, I love that series. That is a great series, absolutely yeah. fantastic. And that's, again, it's one of those things where it's like the things that they're talking about are interesting, but the people that they're talking to are people who you don't think of because you don't see them everywhere in the media, mm-hmm. unless you're the kind of person who's constantly connected to a variety of media outlets. So, yeah, okay, lots of opportunities there. All right, so now it's your turn to tell the listener anything else you want. The time is yours. I honestly have nothing else to say because I have everything to say. I am the kind of person who will, if you allow me, will just talk your ear off for hours on end. And what I would rather do, I think, for the purpose of this podcast is focus the energy on the topic for the podcast. Okay, fair enough. So we're going to jump into today in history, and then we'll get back to you. So today in history, I get all my history facts from www.history.com slash thisdayinhistory. So May 5th, 1961... The first American in space. From Cape Canaveral, Florida, Navy Commander Alan Bartlett Shepard Jr. is launched into space aboard the Freedom 7 space capsule, becoming the first American astronaut to travel into space. The suborbital flight, which lasted 15 minutes and reached a height of 116 miles into the atmosphere, was a major triumph for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, NASA. NASA was established in 1958 to keep U.S. space efforts abreast of recent Soviet achievements, such as the launching of the world's first artificial satellite, Sputnik 1, in 1957. In the late 1950s and early 1960s, the two superpowers raced to become the first country to put a man in space and return him to Earth. On April 12, 1961, the Soviet space program won the race when cosmonaut Yuri Gagarin was launched into space put in orbit around the planet, and safely returned to Earth. One month later, Shepard's suborbital flight restored faith in the U.S. space program. NASA continued to trail the Soviets closely until the late 1960s and the success of the Apollo lunar program. In July 1969, the Americans took a giant leap forward with Apollo 11, a three-stage spacecraft that took U.S. astronauts to the surface of the moon and returned them to Earth. On February 5, 1971, Alan Shepard, 
The first American in space became the fifth astronaut to walk on the moon as part of the Apollo 14 lunar landing mission. So just a neat little piece of history for this day. Um, I don't know about you, but I am a huge fan of anything that goes to space um, and have been for a long time. I really, the idea of exploring space and maybe someday reaching to the stars is really cool. I, I completely agree. It's absolutely a fascinating topic. I think from my perspective as an engineer, um, the thing that, that fascinates me the most about it is the sheer impossibility of us ever being able to turn space exploration into a practical endeavor. I mean, I know, I, I believe, I want to believe that someday we'll be able to do it. I mean, that's one of the, right. one of the reasons I love sci-fi so much, like hyperdrive. Oh, you know, what a piece of junk. Make 0.5 past the speed of light. Or, I mean, right, right. I love that stuff. But I also recognize that as we understand physics currently, the likelihood of ever being able to do that is just staggeringly low. Okay. Which is why it's it's so much fun for me. It's a challenge. Okay. Let's so figure out how to do it. Let me ask you this question, because this is a question I like to ask people just because of a, of a personal curiosity. What is your take on aliens, extraterrestrials? So I was doing some research on something similar to okay. this. Because I was trying, a few years ago, I was working myself up to being able to run a, a Planescape game for Dungeons & Dragons. All right. And I was, I was stuck with one of these questions in my head, which was, you know, if we're talking about a game setting where all of the characters players and NPCs, are dead. They lived, and they've now died, and now they're souls in the afterlife. Okay, how many how many souls are there? And I was, I was trying to figure this out, because I'm like, well, we're talking about potentially limitless number of worlds, but I've, for the purpose of like my random encounter tables and my economic right. tables and world-building purposes, I just want to have like some doesn't matter how big the number is. It just ended up being a stupid big number, too. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. It just, you know, for the purposes of creating spreadsheets and trying to create a world for this, I wanted to be able to answer that question. So I started the research on our side with the assumption that our world is a standard world. And I asked the question, how many souls have lived in our world? It turns to be like 10 billion, 10 billion or something. Yeah, it's, it's astronomical. There are more dead people on this earth than there are live people. Currently, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then the next question was, how many worlds could conceivably exist in the universe that could support life? Because it's a fantasy game, let's just assume that if this world could support life, it did support life, and therefore we add that to the number. So that's something that scientists have been looking at recently, too. Mm -hmm. yep. How many different worlds out there are habitable? Probably they're looking at it from a similar point of view. If we have... A hundred billion planets that could potentially be inhabited. What's the likelihood that one of them is, even if it's like point zero 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 one percent or something like that? It still ends up being like, oh, oh, cool. There's like a hundred other planets out there that could be inhabited. Right, right. So, do aliens exist? It'd be stupid if they didn't. Okay, fair enough. That's kind of the way I look at it. Now, have they been here? Who knows. That that's that's another one. That you know that's that's another topic. I tend to believe that we have been visited, but that's just my personal opinion, and I know it's only an opinion. You know, I know that I, I have no hard facts. I've never walked up and met an alien, at least that I'm not aware, not that I'm aware of. 
you know, but it's just one of those things. I, I tend to like to believe in the things that are possible, but not likely. That's, that's why I'm religious. Anyway, all right, so what do you got for us? What, what, are, we, what are we talking about today? I, I want to ask you a question. Okay. I want to ask you a question. Would you, because I, I know that you were telling me this before we started the program, that you've stopped guessing. Mm-hmm. So my question is, would you take a guess? Would I take a guess? I suppose I could take a guess. <laughs> what that guess would be, I don't know. Um, well, we haven't talked in a few, I mean, a lot in the last few years. Um, when, when I last talked to you on a regular basis, you were big in the gaming. Um, you were... Uh, just getting ready to go into the guards, so I don't know how many years ago that was. Right, that was, I mean, college and graduation, getting commissioned, moving on in life, and life takes its tolls, you know, and you end up going in different directions. Zombie roller derby! Ooh, ooh, I wish. I so wish. I still have that. I was going to say, it's, I, I, it's have, in, I have the board, too. <laughs> it's it's in the R&D department, which is the bottom of my closet. <laughs> We should probably consider revising that. But yeah, anyway, we, we'll yeah, that well, that's that's a different discussion. Um, no, no, but close because okay. if, if the question is, you know, what what do I want to talk about on your podcast? I want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. I want to talk about D and D. Okay. I I want to talk about the thing that I am am passionate about, and I don't unfortunately get enough time to spend on it because I'm, at this point in time in my life, I'm just not in a position where I can devote the energy to it. Right. So now, do you want to talk about D and D as a whole, or do you want to talk about a specific version of D and D? Oh no, no. So this is this is. I want to I want to start it by asking more questions. Okay. Because questions, I think, are are good you know, rhetorical technique to be able to drive a conversation. Okay. So first question is, have you played 5th edition? I have. Okay. What do you think? I actually really enjoy 5th edition. I am surprised by that. (laughs) I am currently in a 5th edition game. I like the fact that um, I am always, I am and always will be a 3-5 guy. Mm -hmm. But 5th edition kind of gives that feel, that old school feel of, First edition, second edition kind of play, minus Thaco, which, thank God. Not that Thaco's all that hard. I was going to say, why Why are people always ragging on Thaco? There's nothing wrong with it. There isn't. There isn't. I don't have a problem with it, but I have played with so many people over the years that just can't figure this shit <laughs> out. Math is hard. It's math not, is hard. It's not even hard math. It's simple math. It's, I get a plus six to hit. Okay, so... You start at armor class 0, you need a 20. So now to hit armor class 0, you need a 14. From there, it's all easy. It's not yes, hard math. Yes, but, but Chad, what, what are we really talking about here? We're talking about fantasy elf games, right? I mean, yeah, you know, fantasy elf, why, why do you got to complicate things? Why do you got to make it difficult for people, man? We just want to sit around and drink beer, eat some pretzels, and play some games. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, I get you. No, but anyway, so back to, back to, back to, I, <laughs> I know. So back to back to fifth edition. I really enjoy it. Um, I like it because it's more of a shell than like three five, where three five is very crunchy, very number heavy. Okay. Fifth edition is not. Fifth edition is really gotten back to the core of what I really enjoyed about second edition, which is storytelling. Now, second edition is also very crunchy number wise. Yes, it is, and and I know what you're talking about. I'm, I started with second edition, and I'm a big fan of it, and I'm structuring my game for the future to be based on okay. second edition framework. But fifth edition kind of takes a lot of that out. You don't have to worry about feats. You don't have to worry about all these other little things that 
fleshed your character out. Mm-hmm. You, it's now up to you as a player working with your game master to flesh out that character. Okay. What edition did you start with? Did you start with second edition? I did start with second edition, yep. Okay. And you've played every edition since. So second, third, third Pathfinder, fourth. Yeah, I know. Fourth is the redheaded stepchild, and we all wish that it would go away. Well, you know, I do have one good thing to say about fourth edition. There's a good thing? Yes, there is. All right, I'm listening. Let's start, let's start with the bad thing. The bad thing is it wasn't Dungeon, it wasn't Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, okay. Yes. It was clearly not. It was it was World of Warcraft put into a book. Absolutely. And slapped with a D&D uh, logo. Amen. Amen, brother. Preach it. But but that being said, the system itself was, was simplistic. Correct. It was simplistic and it worked mm-hmm. well. See, I have I have in my back pocket the fact that fourth edition came out while I still had my game shop. <laughs> yes, and I that. had to learn how to sell that you're, garbage. You're right. You you did have to learn how to sell it. I I agree. But that being said, it really the system it really did work well. The system itself did work well. Yes, as a game. Yes, as a game. But Not the problem as... with it is it pigeon told you once you picked. Uh, I'm gonna be a rogue. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, at first level, you get to choose whether you're going to be a stabby rogue or you're going to be a, a shooty rogue. Mm-hmm. And from there, you're pigeon-toed. You don't get a whole lot of choice. Cross-classing, though technically it's a viable option, no. It's just, <laughs> oh my god. I thought cross-classing in second ed was bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and fourth, ed- fourth edition was, as a D&D player, I felt like Wizards of the Coast was insulting us. Wizards of the Coast have been insulting us for a very long time, my friend. Well, I know, but, I mean, it, that was a blatant, and it all started off with the fact that they released the 4th edition red box, mm-hmm. and it looked identical to the 2nd edition red box, and I wanted to go to somebody in Washington <laughs> and just hit them in the head repeatedly with the red box. So, so let's back it up just a moment here. You were you said something about 4th edition as a game, as a mechanics, right? The mechanics mm-hmm. you say worked really well, and so so I take that to mean the mechanics of the game worked well. Correct. So what kind of game was Fourth Edition? Fourth Edition was Hit more specifically. Would you call it a role playing game? No, I would call it a multi user dungeon that was put to paper. I would I would agree. I would agree. Actually, I would probably use more of the term board game, or yeah, free, kinda freeform board game, ad yeah. hoc board game. I don't know. There's some some type of word phrase in my head. That Tile board game. Something that means that you, as the player at the table, have the ability to define the board itself. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, though, it's still a board game because it stripped away any relationship to having a role. Yes. And having having any kind of character, concept, or development, there was no acting, there was no uh, storytelling, there was no role-playing actually involved with that. They did a thing, uh, Wizards of the Coast did a weekly thing where, and we had it at our store, where somebody would volunteer to run a weekly um, session. Mm-hmm. And they would send us all the materials we needed, so you'd get a small module that you'd run that week, and you'd get all the little pieces you would need for the the uh, the monsters and that kind of stuff. And it was literally just a 
for lack of, the, uh, of a better word, it was just a dungeon delve. You went in, you had your first encounter, you had time to heal, you had your second encounter, you had time to heal, you had your third encounter, and every week it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. And new players ate it up. My wife, who never really was a D&D fan, likes 4th edition. I don't know why. Well, does she like board games? She does. She loves board games. There you go. That's what it is. You know, and actually, I have never made that connection, but you're very, very exactly right. But then Wizards of the Coast went one step further, and they proved to us it was a board game <laughs> by releasing board games of 4th edition. Exactly. Now, but here's... I'm, I'm going to take it one step further, though. I'm going to take it one step further. Okay. And I would submit... I would submit that 4th edition is not the aberration when it comes to the Dungeons & Dragons line. Okay, I'm listening. 4th edition is absolutely not a role-playing game. But I would submit that 3rd edition was not, that Pathfinder is not. I would go so far as to say that 5th edition is not. However, I have not played 5th edition, so I don't really know. I am going to say that 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons is not a role-playing game on the basis that Wizards of the Coast doesn't know a role-playing game from its ass in the ground. Now, that's not all of the blame is going to go to the Wizards in their ivory tower. I would submit that everything you think you know about role-playing games, specifically Dungeons & Dragons, but role-playing games in general, everything you think you know about role-playing games is wrong. Okay, you've got me now. Okay, so... To begin... But before you start, though, I'm going to disagree with you on 3rd edition and 2nd edition. I would expect you to. Okay. So... I just wanted that in there for the record. I would would start... And I did start, but when I was was taking down some notes on this to see how I was going to, you know, kind of form my thoughts and, and what direction I wanted to go. If you do a Google search for what is role playing. Now, if you do it for what is a role-playing game, you're going to get a certain set of results. I didn't search for that. I said, what is role-playing? Okay. And, of course, there's some definitions in there. Most of them, and, you know, this is all, by the way, first-page result, because nobody goes to second-page results on Google. If you have to go to second-page on Google, you're... Then you have to refine your search. Yes, you have to refine your search. On the first page, I found almost all of them, eight or nine of the links... We're dealing with dictionary definitions or psychological definitions because role play is a term that's been around. Um, I'm trying to since Freud, maybe. Quite possibly. I, I think it, I think it was the psychoanalyst okay. of Freud's era who brought in the concept of role play as a psychological tool, mm-hmm. which then spread out from there into a couple of other areas like uh, marketing and and psychology, sociology, and other things like that. So, um, but one of the reasons, one of the results on the first page Google search for what is role playing, I found a page that lists no less than 16 different essays that all attempt to answer the question. Wow. From a, from what we would consider a role-playing point of view, from a gamer's point of view? The page is written by a person who played AD&D. Okay. And I didn't get around to looking, linking you know, all of those essays and reading them. They're on my list now, though, because I'm very curious to know what these people think. Okay. Um, 
So I'll put this back to you then. How would you answer the question, what is role-playing? And in, yes, this isn't in the context of what is a role-playing game. So okay. what is a role-playing game is really meant to be implied. But what is role-playing? Role-playing to me, now, and, and this is where I'm going to see you run into a lot of problems, is it's based on the individual and what their thought is. Mm-hmm. To me, role-playing is, um, and I've used this term so much in the last five years or so, it's communal storytelling. It's where everybody takes a role. <clears throat> so you've got your game master who let, – let's look at it like a human body. So you've got the game master. Game master comes along and he builds a skeleton. Yep. Puts in the ribs and the brain and all this stuff, right? And he lays it on the table in front of you and he goes, this is where we're starting. And then everybody else takes a role and they start to form the body around the skeleton. Okay. Now – I've told this story before, even on this podcast, but when I first started writing role-playing games, I wrote everything. I would write down to, you know, details of what kind of, you know, what kind of fauna and flora there was, you know. How many people know the term flora and fauna? I know it because of role-playing games. That's why most people know it. But you know what I mean? I would would write down what kind of plants and animals there were. Does that does that make you feel better? No, no, I'm just picking on you. Okay. <laughs> Move on. So I would write everything down. I'd write, and I'd be like, you know, you come to a, uh, a split in the road, and I would write what was down the right-hand side and I'd write what was down the left-hand side. Of course, I wanted everybody to go to the left because that's where the action was. And it didn't take me long to realize that it doesn't matter where the action is. The split comes in the road. Whichever way they decide to go, if something needs to happen, it doesn't matter which side of the split they're on. So that was my first step back from writing a novel that everybody around the table was going to ruin. Mm-hmm. And now I look at um, writing a game. I call it the McDonald's theory of role-playing. And I'll explain that. So when you see a McDonald's sign, what's the, first, what's the thing that stands out about the McDonald's sign? Excellently phrased question. The first thing that stands out about it is that it's a bright yellow arch. Yeah, the arches. Yes. Okay. So think about the arches. They start in one point, they go up, they come back down to the same point, they go up, and they come back down. Okay. Now you can extend that out, but I. I it's a pattern. You could it's have a pattern. Arches. Right. Okay, got it. So what I do when I put together a role playing game now is I start at that first arch and I say, this is where the game starts. Mm-hmm. So this is where I start building my. my skeleton and then i go to that last arch whether it's four out six out you know whatever okay and that's how the game's going to end and every one of those spots in between where the arches come back down to the earth that's where another pivotal point of the game happens something that has to happen okay everything else in that i think of it as i throw it up in the air to the players so You start the game, I throw it up to you. You tell me how we're getting to, what we're going to do to get to that next point. Hmm. And so that's just kind of the thing. I've I've called it the McDonald's theory of role-playing for a long time because I'm a fat guy and I like McDonald's. That'll happen. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with McDonald's, but but McDonald's is the devil. (laughs) I've, I've heard that, but... Anyway, I, I, so I, I have a sneaky little. I do like McDonald's. I only go there for the breakfast, but you know how it is. Yeah, well, I get you. <laughs> now they have breakfast all day. I know that's the great thing about it. <laughs> Curse you, McDonald's! Okay. But anyway, so the idea is there are these 
points, whether it's five, whether it's ten, whether, you know, a hundred points that have to happen in this game. Okay, so now I have a question for you. Yes. What if the players veer off the track? It doesn't matter. Things can happen. Things in a world can happen without the players being there. And what that does then, that affects how they're going to react to the next thing that has to happen. So let's say there's a game where, and I'm going to steal this from a guy, actually the 5e game I'm in right now. Let's say there is a pattern that you as a group figure out that there are these bad guys, bad guys, called the Blight. And they show up, they come through interdimensional portals, they destroy towns and leave. And you have now been, because you are the good guys, have been now informed of this pattern and where it's going to happen, and you have to take care of it. So let's say, Carl, you and your, your fellow travelers decide, you know what? This guy didn't know what he was talking about. So you're a day late getting to wherever you're supposed to be next. That doesn't mean the blight waits another day to show up because you guys decided to go off and hunt deer or whatever. You get there. This town is now raised. People right, are right. dead. So the world the world is an active world. There's an active world. That, that acts independently right. of my and my crew's actions. Correct. So if we end up being late to a particular event, well, then there's consequences for that. Right. Now, what if we don't show up to the event, period? Does Again, it, there's still consequences. There's still consequences. Stuff happens. There's still fake people in the back of my head that are now dead. Yep. But you're going to hear about it then. Then I'm going to throw rumors out there. You're going to hear people talking about how that town that you were supposed to go to mm -hmm. has been destroyed. Or, and it might not even be that town because you may go the opposite direction. You're supposed to go west and you guys went east. Well, then that third arch where the next town that's supposed to be destroyed is, since you don't know because you get your information from each town, you know, now it's in your path over here. I'm going to bring it to you at some point. Okay, so that would be another question that I would have to submit to the DM. GM, whichever term you prefer. Specifically, I'm always talking about Dungeons and Dragons, but I recognize that other role-playing games operate the same way. Mm -hmm. What if we're not the good guys? I don't run those games. I never have. So now you're talking about... Okay, let me let me get this straight. Okay, so you're not the good guys. Let me submit. Let me submit something else then. Okay. Just, we'll, we'll back off for a moment. You don't run the. You don't run games where people are not the good guys. Okay. I. I got it. I understand. Okay. Um, do you? I mean, that's your prerogative, right? Because the DM ultimately does have some input into the types of games that people run. So, for example, um, like, hey, I don't run player versus player. Period. Well, this that's one DM right over here. DMA says I don't run player versus player. Ever. If there's ever any kind of player versus player, then I will stop the game and ask the players to sort out whatever the situation is so that we do not have player-on-player -player hostilities. What's wrong whereas, with that? Now, that's fun. another DM over here, like yourself, is going to is going to say, look, player versus player is acceptable under very specific circumstances in order to, you know, because like we can't, we can't be constantly taking up our time, we can't be splitting the group. There are certain circumstances that are explicitly bad, but all of the others, are, as long as everyone agrees to them, then we can still engage in that. There's different ways of doing it. Oh, absolutely. So, backing off on that for just a moment, because ultimately, look, anyone who does PvP is wrong, but for different reasons. Different reasons. Let's back off on that for a moment. Um, if 
if you say totally got off track right there. Give me a moment and I'll be able to come back around. Okay. Um, what are we looking at here? No, let me explain as, as you're trying to figure this out. What I mean by I don't let you guys – I don't run a game where players are bad, bad guys. Yeah. There's a few reasons for that. One, it's really hard for me to write that type of a scenario. I have a real hard time with now you're oh, got it. Thank you. Got it. Okay. Now, now you, you know, now you're the bad guys you're fighting are not kobolds and um, sprites and things like that. Now I have to come up with good people that you're going to fight. Yeah. I don't enjoy that. What, also, bad, bad people don't ever fight bad people. Well, they do. Point being <laughs> that when. I run games. I run heroic games. To okay. me, heroics mean you're the good guys. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that that term can be taken in a lot of different ways. But that's why I tend to say chaotic neutral and good beyond. I don't usually let people go evil unless there's a specific purpose. Now, I have done things. Now, do you actually use alignment? Not really anymore. Okay. So I'm assuming that you're just using the term as a way to kind of concisely address a certain type of worldview in order to say, hey, as long as, as long as you are like not explicitly evil in these areas or something like that, right. it's acceptable. And for you get players that want to be evil from time to time, good, you're chaotic neutral. That's exactly what that term means. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, from time to time you do really good things, from time to time you do really bad things, and the rest of the time you're somewhere on that paradigm you know but um now i forget where i was going so the what i what i would submit what i would submit as a counter to the idea of you know there's different the, the arch i've got different okay. plot points yep. that are going to get moved around you got different plot points that are going to get moved around well only if you play wrong obviously <laughs> Why would I be playing this game if not to fuck things up for you? <laughs> That's true. That's true. Okay. D&D role-playing is not storytelling. It is not. Storytelling is something that happens after you play a session. Because storytelling doesn't take place in real life. Now, I'm not going, I'm not going to go in the direction of saying... That role-playing is supposed to be imitating art imitates life or something like that. I mean, yes, it is, but no, it's not. When you take on a role, when you take on a character in a game, a role-playing game. Correct. What you are doing is you are assuming an avatar, a persona, of someone that is not yourself. They're, they are yourself because you're the one choosing their actions, but they're not yourself because they have skills and abilities and motivations that you don't have, and the actions that they choose may not be what you would actually truly do in those situations if you had those skills and abilities. Right. Um, they, so they're you, but they're not you. They have to, they have to accept that there's a little bit of a cognitive dissonance going on there. Um, so role-playing does imitate life, in a sense. Instead of taking on the role of an engineer, which is what I do in my day job, I'm going to take on the role of a scientist. 
and I'm going to get into a spaceship, and I'm going to go into space and explore stuff as a scientist, as okay. a biologist, and I'm going to try and create mutagenic organisms that I can, you know, infect the enemy with, and I use, like, a spork to stab them and inject it that way. I don't know. Sporks are awesome. They are totally awesome. Um, but that's taking on a role. Mm-hmm. And, and in order to do that in a way that we understand on a psychological level, on basic, animalistic, unconscious psychological level, we should be playing the game as though we were playing life. And life doesn't have stories. Well, they do, but not till after life has happened. Until after life has happened. Role-playing is not storytelling. Life is not storytelling. After something has happened in the game, then you go to the bar, you have a drink with your buddies, and you laugh and you joke about it, and you tell stories amongst your circle of friends. So then what do you consider a role-playing game to be? If it's not communal storytelling, as I said, is the way I look at it, because I sit down with four or five of my buddies, and we tell a story. There is a story being told but not before, and not even during. There's a story being told after. Explain. What, what we're doing right now, we're sitting here and we are, we're having a conversation and we're doing it for a purpose for your podcast. Right. And you contacted me a couple months ago about this, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you, you know, I, I, thought about it and I wrote down some notes and I did some research and then I got back to you and I'm like, yes, I want to do this and let's make it happen. Fast forward, here we are. I mean, I, I like that was a really shitty story. Right? right. But it's still a story. But it is a story. And I could, and I could go into more detail about the, the time in between then and now in order to create a story and, and have some action that takes place. Cause there was some stuff that happened. Yeah. You know, I talked to a, a buddy at work about it. I talked to my wife about it. I talked to, a guy I know online about it, and I asked him if I could, you know, plug his website and stuff like that. Um, but there was a lot more than that that happened. Right. A lot more. And while it was happening, I didn't know what the story was going to be. Okay. I didn't know what was going to happen. Yeah, you don't. Sure. Right. If we, if we approach role-playing from the point of view of it is a story, then... The DM is the one who knows what's going to happen. Okay. I, I got it. You don't know how it's going to happen, but you know it's going to happen yeah. because you picked up something that was predetermined and you said, nope, it's going to go over here. It's the, it's the quantum ogre argument. Mm -hmm. And I reject that because that's not what happens in real life, and I don't want it to happen in my games. Okay. I want the games to represent real life. You asked a question. You said, you know, what, what do I consider to be a role-playing game? By way of analogy, a role-playing game is the DM is the game console. Okay. It's old school on this. The DM is a Nintendo Entertainment System. And All he right. Is, and he is the cartridge. He's the hardware and the software combined together. And the DM creates the world, populates it, presents it to the characters... Because the DM has to act as the media through which the characters understand the world. There's many tools that are available to the DM, but ultimately he is the one who says, I am your eyes and ears, and I'm going to tell you what you 
experience mm -hmm. in this world. And then he says, what do you want to do? And the players say what they want to do. And then the DM tells them how the world reacts to what they want to do. But there is no story. There is no purpose. There is no destination except what the players define for themselves. Because that in real life is what we do. We define something for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Many years ago, I decided that I was going to get my life together and go to college. And then I said, how am I going to do that? And I agonized about it for a while, and ultimately I decided that I was going to do something. I decided to join the military. But when I joined the military, I had no clue where that story was going to go. Yeah, and we kind of even talked about that before we went on the air. You know, that I, I said to you, did you expect to be where you are now when you joined, you know, what, 10 years ago, 12 years ago? 11, 12, something like that. Yeah, so, and you're like, no. No. I joined to go to college. Yeah, and to get paid, and that's it. Yeah. But now apparently I'm actually somewhere, and I would, I, yeah, I have to consider myself to be someone, although I'm not someone because of anything that I've accomplished. It's just I'm someone because of the circumstances that have resulted in me getting here. But even then, the conversation that we're having about the stuff that happened in the past is being done from the perspective of telling a story. We are storytellers, human beings. We are storytellers. Oh, yeah, that is absolutely. how we relate to each other. That is how we pass on entertainment and important moral and ethical messages. That's how we teach people. It's just how our minds work. But real life doesn't work that way. Real life is just, here's a random world, and it's completely fucking random, and it doesn't give two shits about you in any way, shape, or form. You want to do something in the world? Go out there and make the world do something for you. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's the kind of role-playing that I'm talking about. That's what I think role-playing games are, and that's how I think we should be talking about role-playing games. Okay, but then when you when you look at it that way, the number of people that are going to play in that type of a role-playing game... Should be everybody. But that's not how it works. I like to put games that are engrossing, that bring the character or the players in, mm -hmm. and thus in turn brings their characters in. Because if you give them a story where they care about what happens to their character, because when we get right down to it, what is a character in a role-playing game? It's a bunch of rolled dice and a sheet of paper. It means literally zero in the real world. I would I would disagree. Okay, but let me let me finish what I'm saying. Okay. So that sheet of paper, sheet of paper, means nothing. Okay, it's a sheet of paper. If it dies, if my character dies, and I'm not connected to that sheet of paper in any way, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. I have another sheet of paper over there. So how do you get connected to that sheet of paper? Because you, as you just said. If it dies and you're not connected. You get connected to the character. You get connected to whatever it is you build in your mind about your character. Okay. Okay. So how do you build that in your mind? How does that take place? Depends on, again, again, it depends on the person. Mm -hmm. For me, over the years that I have played, I have very few characters that I have gotten to the point where if they were to die, it would be a bad thing. Right. It would make me sad. Well, right, right. And, and let's be clear, too, especially when we're, you know, I, I, I'm not sure who your listener base is or anything like that, but I just want to be clear about this. We are talking, of course, about um, 
having a reasonable, rational response to an event like this. Yes, it's not going to affect my day-to-day. Correct. But it's going to be that story you tell, you know, and I've retired exactly one character in all the years I've played. I've been Mm -hmm. playing over 20 years, retired one character. He was a second edition character I played. He was a gray elf. His name was Airden the Gray, because I was really original back then. Everybody is. But, um, you know, I built him up. I built him from level one to, he's right around level 50 somewhere, because he's a split class character. Okay. Finally, we retired him. Mm -hmm. I went so far as to, within everything I wrote about him and his background and the years playing and notes taken and, you know, all this kind of stuff. He was a tattoo artist. I'm a big fan of tattoos. Absolutely. Tattoos are awesome. I've got five. I would like to have 50. (laughs) But I have a wife, and she doesn't like them as much as I do. Okay. But um, it went to it got to the point where I had developed his family crest. Okay. And, and you were going to do some tattoo that shows off that crest. I have that tattoo. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I have half my back is that tattoo. I like it. So it, it was just one of those things. I couldn't draw. I'm not an artist. Mm-hmm. At least not an artist in the form of I can't draw things. So I went to a buddy of mine, and I said, okay. I need you, I, I would like you to draw this for me because I want to get this tattoo. And if I go to a tattoo artist, he's going to half-ass it because he's got 80 people a day that come through and want him to buy, draw a tattoo. Mm-hmm. And I said, can you draw this for me and what will you charge me? And he gave me, I mean, a real reasonable price, but he is an artist. So I said, how much? And he told me and I said, okay, do it. We went through, I think it was 17 drafts before he got it to what I envisioned in my mind. Mm-hmm. And is that his fault? No, that's my fault because obviously what I was seeing in my head was not what was coming out of my mouth. Obviously. You know. But now if Aridin had died when I played him, that would have made me – maybe sad's not the right word. Well, so here's here's another way of thinking about that specific, you know, like connection. Okay? Mm-hmm. So um, – do you consider yourself an artist of any kind? I do. Um, You've created things, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, if you were a painter, mm-hmm. and and even if you weren't a good painter, that's irrelevant, but you were a painter, and you were, like, you, you worked on a particular piece that you literally put your heart and soul into it, many sleepless nights, mm-hmm. fights with loved ones about it, you know, stuff like that. And you had this painting on display in a gallery, and let's say the gallery owner, I don't know, anybody, I'm making up a completely fictional situation, Mm -hmm. let's say some irrational, crazy person comes in there and not only decides to badmouth it and completely trash it, but he literally pulls a knife out and slashes it and then goes to light it on fire because he's like, this is what I think of this piece of trash. Right, right. What What would your response to that kind of thing be? It would make you mad, I would assume. Uh, it would make me upset to the point of, you know, possibly if I was there when he did it, you know, like taking action. Mm-hmm. You would have you would have a strong, visceral, emotional, irrational, maybe rational, depending on the circumstances. Right. That's not a bit, you know, an extreme example, but a strong, passionate response to it. Mm-hmm. So... You can have that kind of passionate response with a character. Right. Because what a character is, as an avatar, 
as your avatar in the game is they are a creation. No, oh, absolutely. From the moment that you take charge of that character and dictate its actions in the game world, they even are before your even before that, I not not all role players do this, but almost every character I've ever had, I write a background for. It could be a paragraph, or it could be I've written ten page histories, mm-hmm. um, simply because I want to know the character that I'm going to be running his life. And I know this sounds really lame and kind of kind of like people are gonna people could listen to this and go, is he okay? Is he mentally okay? <laughs> but it's just it's a hobby like any other hobby. Right. If you're a woodworker, you're going to study the types of wood you want to use based on how they splinter, based on how they cut, and you know how they take stain, how they don't take stain. If you're interested in refining your craft, Correct. developing any level of expertise, then yes, you are going to go to that level of detail and dedication. And I do that with characters because that's my hobby. That's what I do to have fun. Mm-hmm. And the more I know about this character, before I ever roll my first paradise, other than his statistics, mm-hmm. is I want to know where he came from. I would like to know where he's been to a certain degree and kind of, you know, his hopes and dreams. You know, if I'm playing a rogue, what's his what's his ultimate, you know, what's that ultimate score? You know, is it stealing a big bag of 10,000 gold or is it, you know, being able to infiltrate the government and live off the government? You know, what is his ultimate score? And that dictates to a minimal degree how you're going to play that character in the game. Now, a game, just like real life, is always changing. You may have plans. Mm -hmm. We've all done this. We have plans. This is what we're going to do with our life. We have plans. This is what I'm going to do with my character. And then you get there, and it's not at all what you expected. So I I don't disagree with, like, hardly anything of what you just said there. Okay. I really don't. Um, Actually, when it comes to character generation, my personal take on it is that I want, when I run my games again, I want to implement a process that does away with the whole character background generation process because I don't feel that it contributes anything to the actual game. I'd rather implement a process where the player has a few choices to make about their character and then the rest of their background is randomly determined for them. The reason being, in real life, you don't get to decide you don't your get to gender. decide who your parents you are. You don't get to decide your parents. You don't get to decide which race you are. I mean, so I'll, I mean, again, for the players have to make some decisions. They absolutely do. I'm not going right. to force you to play an orc when you really want to play a dwarf. That's just dumb. But, no, you don't get to decide how many siblings you have because that's just the circumstances that you were born into. Right. So. Right. So, like. I, Chad... You can tell me that you want to be a deposed noble and you want to be, like, you know, third in line for the throne, and I'm going to say, roll those dice. Let's see if it happens. You know, and it makes sense, because I, Chad, did not choose my parents. Mm -hmm. I did not choose to have two brothers and no sisters. It's, like you said, it's circumstantial. It's not something you choose. Exactly. But... And I can work with that. With a random background? That's great. But but that's that's from the that's from the character's perspective. That's from the player's perspective. <coughs> huh.
That's from the player's perspective, right? The DM's perspective, though, is different. Always. Distinctly, uniquely different. Extremely different. DMs are not players. Wrong. DMs are not players. Wrong. They are not. They are. They are not players in the game. Really? You, as a DM, you've never played a character in the game? Now, now, what I've done in the past is not indicative of the paradigm that I adhere to no, now. No, no. That's not... As a DM, every DM, every GM, every keeper, every whatever... DMs who play characters in the game mm-hmm. and therefore and therefore fall under the you know the whole being a player thing are being bad DMs. And they need to stop. Really? Who's going to play the world around the characters? No. The NPCs. NPCs are not players. They are, though. They, they, are, are, they, they are, are characters. They are characters, though. Yes. But Non-player they're... character. Yes. Uh, okay. And I'm sorry, but if you tell a story where the only people that ever say... If the only people that ever say anything are the five people that sit around the table... But that's not what I'm talking about. And then I realize that my words are failing me right now. Okay. I do. I okay. realize my words are failing me. So, may want to maybe, maybe just want to back off on that for a moment and see if we can figure that piece out. I'm not sure. All right. Um, see, this... Like I said, like, we started this We started this with... I said, everything you think you know about role-playing is wrong. Right. Well, I, I will continue... I'll stick to my guns on that, and I will continue to challenge everything that anybody thinks they know about role-playing. And that's fine, and... Um, as long as you understand that I'm going to defend my positions when I disagree with you. And you should. You okay. absolutely should. All right. Continue. And then after the fact, I'm really hoping that, that as you're editing, as you're listening, as you're thinking about it later, as you reference some of you know any of the sites that I'm going to email you later and say, oh, hey, check out this guy's stuff, then you're going to think about it and go, wow, there is something going on there that's different that I didn't know about. Oh, I, because that's because that's basically what has happened in my paradigm. There is there is always something going on that I am unaware of or don't know what's happening. So that's not going to put me in an odd place. So, and I completely okay. So you've played games with me, yes, where I have run games, yes, and that was bad. That was early in my life as a DM, and some of them were quite horrible. Yeah, yeah everybody <laughs> starts the first time they play t-ball, right? I didn't, man. Home run every time. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, of course, everybody. But, you know, it, it was one of those things where now the way I run is so completely different than the way I did 20 years ago. And I would and I would hope and I would expect that the way you're running now is better than the way you were before. I think it is. It's better for me and my players. Well, and that would be the true measure there, too. Is it better, ultimately, game better for your players? Do you have players showing up every week? Yeah. Do you have them, like, disappointed that you have to cancel a game here and there? Yes. Then you are doing something I right. constantly, I constantly have people asking me to run games. And now that I've picked up podcasting and that kind of stuff, I have to say no more than I ever have in the past. Mm-hmm. And um, if I could find a way to get paid to run games, done. You and several thousand people. Done. At minimum. <laughs> but, you know, I have done away with XP. I don't do it. So now, that, okay, okay, now, that we, that I can latch on to. Okay. I can latch on to. So what I do is, as I am putting together a story, mm-hmm. and as I build characters and I build 
Um, encounters. I have almost gotten rid of random encounters. So random encounters have problems with them, um, and I do agree. And I so, think, and I think the problem with random encounters ultimately comes down to is that it's just very difficult to to generate them and present them in such a way that they don't like either completely suck or make no sense whatsoever. And yeah. it's the second part. If they're just completely and totally irrational, then then you're walking through the woods and all of a sudden you've got three owl bears. Why? What? <laughs> you yeah, know exactly, exactly. But there is a way to do random encounters. I just haven't stumbled fully upon it yet. I'm Quite possibly. But what I've done is XP. I've said, you know, it's it's pointless because then all of a sudden the gamer, the players are going, oh, so you got your XP for the week or for the month or however you hand them out, mm -hmm. and they go, all right, so oh, I'm 250 XP short. How can I get 250 XP? And then they're asking you, how can I get 250 XP? And then they're thinking. Carl's characters kind of suck. Um, maybe he wants to play something new. I'll just kill Carl. That'll give me 250 XP. I have seen that happen. Okay. So. So. So what I've done mm. <laughs> is I will play the game, and when they get to an encounter that they need to level up for, mm -hmm. the session before, I will say, okay, everybody level up. And when I first started doing that, I had a lot of raised eyebrows and a lot of kind of looks of, mm, you know... What are you doing here? But after doing it a few times, my players now, when I actually pull out a game like something that's not a fantasy-based game like um, Call of Cthulhu. Well, Call of Cthulhu doesn't use XP, but, you know, some other game that uses an XP system and I say, we're going to use XP. They're all kind of like, do we have to? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how to respond to this. <laughs> it's It's a challenge. Okay, so... Maybe maybe I can come around to it. Maybe I can come around to it by basically addressing the issues that I have had with the XP systems in the past. Okay. The issue that I have always had with XP is that it is never appropriately balanced for the challenge that the players actually encountered. Um, what I mean by that is whether you're doing it off of the old AD&D, which was uh, basically every monster was given an ad hoc value rating and say this is how much its XP is. And, and then were, you split it amongst the number of right, people right. in the group. And, and, there was, and there were no really supportive rules for having like weaker or stronger or leveled monsters or anything like that, which is, yeah, yeah, you know, no. Third edition did a challenge rating system, which tried to standardize it across the board and take those random numbers and make it actually fit some kind of framework and everything like that. But, or, or some people in the OSR community online like to talk about, oh, just give 100 XP per hit die of the monster. You know, it's very static, simple value and everything like that. That that never, none of those systems ever actually fully accounted for the actual challenged faced by the players in the encounter. If we are fighting up against uh, some scorpions or spiders or something that's else got some kind of venom, right? How am I supposed to rate the, the venom attack as far as an XP is concerned? Beholders. 
they've got that anti-magic cone in the, yep. the center eye, okay? How am I supposed to write that as far as an, as an ability is concerned for the monster? Does that make them more dangerous, less dangerous? Well, obviously, it makes them more dangerous, right? Well, the players don't have any magic items. Well, why are you fighting a beholder if you don't have magic items? Never mind that. The situation could come up. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I have got, like, 16th level characters, and we're going to go and kill ourselves a beholder, and we're going to do it with, like, you know, a well-thought-out plan, and we're going to... And then we're going to taxidermy it and hang it up in our bar. And in order to and and, and I am going to set aside my prized magic items because I don't want them to get trashed by the beholder. But the spare plus two sword I got lying around, yeah, we'll we'll bring that. Right, right. Okay, I mean, I get what you're saying, but that. But here's an here's another way of looking at it though too. Like, what if I okay when I when I ran fourth edition for the first time, uh, there was a. One of the published adventures, there was a a, a cobalt encounter, and I had like two players, and so they put, both took three characters each to try and learn the system and everything like that. And we basically played it out like it was a board game and everything. But they got their asses handed to them, completely stomped, because they were accustomed to numbers that were common in third edition. So with the inflated numbers of fourth edition, they weren't really sure how to judge the whole thing. Um. But they went into an encounter that should have been simple Mm -hmm. and would have been simple if they had understood the dynamics of the numbering system of the mechanics. It would have been simpler, but unfortunately in 4th edition, kobolds have sneaky... (laughs) A detail detail that I consider to be largely irrelevant, because the first time you face that kobold, it kicks your butt because of its ability. Mm -hmm. The second time you face that kobold... You find a tactic or technique that completely circumvents that ability. Oh, you should anyway, yeah. Yep. And in both instances, you receive the same XP award. True. Now, here's a question. I don't buy that. Okay. I, I don't I, buy that. I can I agree that with there you. there is a better way to do it, and I, I do have it. But then you're getting, into, you're getting into crunchy numbers again, and like you said, people don't like math. People can take their I don't like math, and they can shove it. Because if you're going, go back to the analogy, if you're going to be a dedicated woodworker, a carver, whatever, mason, I don't care what how hobby mm-hmm. or task you're picking up. Let's say you're playing chess. You know, I like I like playing chess, but I just don't like learning all of the different strategies that are out there. Hey, that's okay. me. Okay, that's great. Good for you. Don't ever set foot in my chess club, you dirty little bitch, because we will fucking destroy you. Now, I'm not a big chess player, but that's not my point. My point is, is that if you go and play in a competitive environment like a chess club or you know, those park clubs that meet and people are playing speed chess and stuff like that. Right. You go to that environment and you try to make the argument, I don't like dealing with the math. I don't like memorizing different strategies. I don't like playing speed chess, you know, for these reasons. They're basically going to say, okay, good for you. See you later. Yeah. Bye. No, I get you. And those are people that, that are not talked down. They have elevated their game. Mm-hmm. They have taken it a step up, and they should. I'm, I'm saying it's not bad to want to play games without XP. Yeah, you go ahead and play games without XP. I think it's a bad thing because I think that we should be taking the game up a notch. Which means, which means, don't take a broken or bad rule and throw it out. It means find a way to fix it. But maybe throwing it out is fixing it. Maybe. Maybe it is. 
So let's hear this this grand plan you have for XP. Okay, so this one is not mine. I am stealing this. Actually, okay. I'm going to be completely blatant, blatantly honest about this. Probably about 90% of the, my material I have stolen from other people online. Um, I can tell by the amount of times you look at your computer. Those are my personal notes. Thank you very much. <laughs> and it was meant to be personal. Anyway, I'm kidding. Um, there, is a, there is a guy who runs a website called the Tao of D&D. Okay. And um, Alexis Smolenks, I'm sure I'm butchering his name somehow because it's, it's some Russian spelling. I'm not okay. sure the actual pronunciation. But he's a fantastic, crotchety, old grognard of the original D&D days. And he listens to our podcast, so way to go and ruin his name. Excellent. <laughs> um, he ditched the XP rules many years ago with his game and, and instead implemented a very straightforward XP is awarded for damage. Okay. You, you deal a point of damage to the enemy, you get 10 XP. The enemy deals a point of damage to you, you get 20 XP. And then at the end of the battle, at the end of the encounter... All of the damage that was dealt on both sides is aggregated together, and I'm not sure if it's like either 10 or 15 is awarded for that pool, and then that pool is divided amongst the survivors. Okay. Now, I don't, I don't know if the way that he runs it includes surviving monsters get a share of that pool. That's probably how I will run it. Um, but the point is, is that he runs an XP process, reward process, that rewards the player characters for getting into the fight and getting their hands dirty and putting themselves at risk. Because in order for me to deal damage to you, I have to be, in melee, at risk of you dealing damage to me. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, you can do damage by ranged weapons. Absolutely, you can. Ranged weapons typically don't deal as much damage as non-ranged weapons. Depending on which rule set you're using, of course. Right, right. But the idea there is that the reward system is based on rewarding risk. I get where you're going with that, but I'm a little confused. Maybe I just misunderstood when you said it. So if I hit a creature and I deal one point of damage, yes. I get 10 XP. Yes. Now, if that creature hits me and deals one point of damage, I get 20 XP? Yes. Does that creature then also get 10 XP for hitting me? So if if the DM is going to track XP for the NPCs and the monsters, probably. Now, I, I'm, I'm speculating at this point because I can't speak to exactly how right, Alexis right. runs his. For myself, I would say yes. Because I am working also on a process whereby I can track XP for monsters. Um... But in the grand scheme of things, I would probably ignore it because it's not, practically speaking, worth it to track the individual XP of all the monsters that are out there. I would just come up with some standard that says, hey, if you encounter this chimera here and you let it live through the encounter, um, and then a year later in-game you happen to encounter it again, I'm just going to assume that it acquired X amount of XP based on its creature type and its whatever class levels it has and stuff like that. I haven't figured out all the details. But yes, the short answer is yes, the creature that you're fighting would also get XP. And would that go into your pool in the end? So we encounter Chimera number one again a year later, and mm -hmm. this time we kill it. Mm-hmm. 
Now, all of that XP that that creature has obtained during that time, does that go into the pool that is then split out amongst your players? No, all of the XP that a creature would acquire during its time off-screen is simply used to determine what level that creature is. So the first time you encounter a Chimera, it'll have uh, you know base hit dice that says, well, it's a creature of this size, therefore it has this many hit dice. Base. Mm -hmm. But then it's also a creature of this intelligence and this creature type, therefore it has an additional number of levels that determine its other stats, like its combat ability. Mm -hmm. And then you encounter it, you know, a year later, and now you're fighting it, and it's actually acquired two levels during that time. Okay. I I don't know. I, I would like to see that in actual use and see how it works. Just from what I'm hearing, though, I don't, I don't necessarily see a drawback to that. But then are you going to use the same XP leveling levels that come with the book? So those I have actually thrown out, not completely thrown out the window, because again, I work off of AD&D, right? AD&D 2nd Edition, Dungeon Master's Guide, has a section in it for creating player character classes, mm -hmm. where they include a base chart that says, you know, in order to get 2nd level, you have 200, 400, 800 XP, that sort of thing. You then apply a modifier per class, and that modifier is determined by the different abilities that the class has. So a fighter has a fighter's thackle progression, you know, one every right. level, and that's worth like a plus three modifier or something like that. I I looked at those charts, and I said, those are crap, because the numbers are way off. You can't recreate the player character classes with these charts. In fact, the book tells you you can't, um, and it's completely right. They're way off. Um, but second of all, they don't list like all of the different abilities even that the player characters have. Uh, plus there's other problems with the skill system too, and those all need to be reworked, right? What I've done though, in my process of reworking things, is I've been keeping track of all of the different skills and abilities that I want to keep. I've been keeping track of which classes I want those skills and abilities assigned to. Okay. And then I've been trying to figure out some kind of numerical calculation that allows me to say this skill, Warrior Thacko progression, is worth 3.1895 modifier. How did I arrive at that? Um, there's some numbers in a spreadsheet. Okay. But the point is, is that I can add all of those numbers together. If I have a class, I'm designing a new class and I give it 15 different abilities, and I have all of those numbers all tracked already, then I just put it into the spreadsheet and say, hey, new class is Summoner X, and Ronin, Samurai Ronin Kenshin, that, there you go, that's going to be the class. I don't okay, know. all right, whatever. And it has these 15 different abilities, and then I put those numbers in there, and then it gives me a total modifier of, like, 32. I'm going to be like, wow, 32 is insanely high compared to all the other classes. But it's a base, it's a modifier that then is applied to the base XP chart, which tells me how much XP is required at every single level. Okay, so I get where you're going with this, and, and part of me, the part of me that likes to try new things, wants to be a, a Skype uh, fly on the wall, or Skype player on the wall, when you do this. But, I don't know, it, it's very... Unique, I will give you that. It's very thought-provoking, and I like that. It's also, honestly, a little bit labor-intensive for would, the DM. 
I would assume so. Because, because you have to figure out how you're going to balance all these different numbers and figures and blah, 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 stuff like that. Yes, it's a pain in the butt. It works for my situation right now because I'm not running a game. I can just do it as a hobby on the side. If I were to actually actively run a game, I would either have to put some work into it to clean it up and make it presentable to the players, mm -hmm. or I would have to accept that it is not ready to use yet, and then I would have to go back to one of the published materials and say, I'm going to use this instead. Um, I wouldn't throw it out. Right, right. But I wouldn't throw it out because you have to have a reward structure. And I don't see any advantage to a reward structure that's just, hey, you played, have a trophy. And I don't mean any offense to anybody when I say that. You should, because but that's I do, fucking ridiculous. Because I do, because fuck you. Take your instant level and shove it out the fucking door. Okay? I show up to your game and I literally like play with myself in the corner and you're going to give me a level the next time everybody else levels up? Man, I was a fucking dick. You should kick me out of the game. Shouldn't be rewarding me for some shit like that. I know, but it's it's it, and this goes to a deeper level that has nothing to do with gaming. Is it's what the world has become, and games like we play, they reflect the world that you live in. I would actually disagree on that. I don't believe that's the world that we've become. It is. My kids play sports. Now, granted, they're not the best at sports, but they still get a trophy because they participated. Now, not so much anymore because they're teenagers. But when they were little, they would play baseball or softball or... No, no, no I, he I hear you. I hear you because I've seen that too with my kids. I really have. And it's fucking ridiculous. But are you getting rewarded at your job just for showing up? I get a paycheck. Anything else? No. No. I, I mean, no. Because, I, you're, because your employer doesn't expect... Because it's your fucking job. Yeah, it's your job. I pay you to be here. That's all the reward that you get. Right. Well, if you're going to show up at my table, you know what I'm going to what I'm, what I'm going to pay you with? I'm going to give you some chips and soda or something like that. Or or if my wife is feeling nice, she's going to cook, and she is ten times the cook that I am. So you're going to get a good meal out of it. Yeah, because if I remember correctly, you're not that bad in the, in the kitchen. I would. I'm passable. I'm okay. Yeah, I think that's where most guys are. <laughs> I, I can make the occasional hot dog, you know. Yeah. Ooh. I can make a coleslaw to go with it. There you go. There Absolutely. you go. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean. We, we can absolutely keep going on and on and on about this. At, at the end of the day, what I, what I submit to people is that Dungeons & Dragons is a hobby. Yep. Like any other hobby, it is a legitimate hobby. It is a legitimate use of our time. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm talking not to the exclusion of the other responsibilities that a person has in life. Right. But I mean, if you're going to be a fantasy football or fantasy baseball player, how is that any different than sitting around? Because I spend a lot less time doing that, honestly. Well, but there are people. There are people, yes. There, yes. Are, there are people who can just ramble nonsensically. Well, very sensitively. They can ramble constantly about players and teams and dynamics of and the game statistics. and statistics yeah. that go along with it and other things like that. And at the end of the day, I am staring at them with a blank face on my, my, my face going like, like, there's a giant dick growing under your forehead. What is wrong with you? And I say that to them because you're talking about a game played by complete strangers thousands of miles away from you. How could you possibly care 
about something that you are so physically and emotionally and spiritually and intellectually disconnected from. At least with a game like Dungeons and Dragons, as the DM, I am creating something. And as players in my game, the players are creating something. Mm -hmm. and, and that's probably one of the best ways I've heard that explained. Now, I want to get back to fantasy football. I know I, I work with a lady, her husband, every year for fantasy draft time, mm -hmm. him and all his buddies go to Vegas and do it. Now, that's, that's a level of commitment. That is just... That blows my mind. Yeah. I'm like, they go and they do the old, I mean, they don't do the computer picking. They do it all. It's all pins and mm -hmm. I'm just like, why do they have to go to Vegas? Well, they don't all live in the same place. Well, yeah, can't you just have them all like come to your house? Or, you know, each year they go to somebody else's house kind of thing. But Vegas? If you, you know what? If you've got the disposable income for that kind of thing. I guess. Of, there's a lot of worse things you can do with Vegas. <laughs> well, yeah, there are. But um, anyway, so I think uh, this is probably a good place to wrap up. I would, I would, yeah. Okay. So next week, um, I'm going to have uh, Zave Zemer back to talk with us. He actually last graced us with his appearance on episode four. So 36 weeks ago. God, I've been doing this for 40 weeks. That's almost a year. It's almost a year. My, I'm, I, July, I will hit my year episode. So You're going to have to do it again. Do what again? Another year. Okay. <laughs> so um let's move on ever wonder to yourself how do i let this guy know how much i like slash hate his podcast or the people on it or think to yourself man i'd love to be a guest on this podcast i have a great idea for a topic well you're in luck there are two ways you can reach out to me first send me an email at whose podcast is it at gmail.com and leave me a message or if you're more into that social media stuff you can find me on facebook at whose podcast is it anyway Either way, I look forward to hearing from you. And now we're going to wrap up with quote of the day, all right? So today's quote is, and I think it's very fitting, even though I had no idea what we were talking about. The quote of the day is, the ego is only an illusion, but a very influential one. Letting the ego illusion become your identity can prevent you from knowing your true self. Ego, the false idea of believing that you are what you have or what you do, is a backwards way of assessing and living life. Wayne Dyer, who was a, an American philosopher, self-help author, and a motivational speaker, um, his first book, Your Erroneous Zones, those are two different things, is one of the best-selling books of all time with an estimated 35 million copies sold to date. Seems kind of fitting to what we talked about today. I would agree. So anyway, I want to thank you guys for listening. This is a long one, but um, I hope you made it all the way through to the end. I had a Great time talking with you, Carl. Chad, it was it was a blast. And if you have the opportunity or you need to fill some time slots or anything like that, I would love to come back on and, uh, quite frankly, I'd like to make it a regular thing. Uh, we, that's quite a possibility. Um, so anyway. I uh, talk about D&D the entire time, honestly. Just for the next two or three. I'm just going to plug that out there for people who are listening. There are a number of topics that I could whack rhapsodic about. but um, Yeah, and for me, it's real easy because I have no idea what we're talking about before they get here. Oh, yeah, it just makes it so much fun, doesn't it? it, it you know, I really enjoy it because I am the kind of guy who can just kind of talk. And I don't necessarily have to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I want to thank you guys for listening again this week, and we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. 
Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.